and welcome to episode 78 of Board Game Blitz, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network and a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes to reorganize your entire game collection by box size. Board Game Blitz is sponsored by Gray Fox Games. This week, we ask the question, does size matter? First, we discuss a couple of games we've played recently, like Pandemic Legacy Season 2 and Time Stories Madame. Then we talk about big games versus small games, and if the size of a box always correlates with the experience within. Finally, we wrap things up with a look at the etymology of the word experience. And now, here are your hosts, Ambie and Crystal. One quick announcement before we hop into the main episode, and that is that our next episode, episode number 79, is our three-year anniversary, everyone. Woohoo! Three years! <laughs> three years. And so we've done something special on all of our past anniversaries. If you haven't been listening to the podcast for a long time, you might want to go do some digging. In fact, maybe we'll share our past anniversary projects as uh, part of our lead up to our anniversary. But um, for our one year anniversary, we released a music video, a parody of the sweet song Ballroom Blitz, obviously board game blitz. (laughs) For our two year anniversary, we released our top 100 games of all time for the first time ever. And this year, Ambi has cooked up something really special. We can't tell you what it is yet, but I will say <laughs> you definitely do not want to miss our next episode. So when episode 79 drops, know that it's going to be longer than usual and it is not going to be our usual format, but it is going to be something you do not want to miss. Recently, I started up a campaign of Pandemic Legacy Season 2 which is a cooperative legacy game. Uh, I'm going to try not to go over spoilers. I'll just go over what you can read in the rulebook because in a legacy game, the rules change as you go on and each game you play, it'll permanently change the game. There's lots of stickers that you put on the rules and board and stuff. And I'm excited that you're finally (laughs) playing this one because you really liked season one. Mm -hmm. And so I'd been anticipating you getting to season (laughs) two. Yeah, and we're actually playing with the same group we played with for season one. Because so the reason it took us a while is because we couldn't schedule it with the same people because people were busy. And, but now we're all able to schedule it again. So that's exciting. So we played the prologue and the first month. So there's 12 months. Uh, it goes through a calendar year. And the prologue is like a intro game to teach you the mechanics of the game because it's very different from pandemic. Well, not like super very different. But so the main thing I think that's different is in pandemic, you're eradicating disease from the world. There's disease cubes that get put onto the areas, the cities of the world, and then you want to like heal them. But in this one, you start out with supply cubes and the world is much smaller. You're actually starting out like in the ocean. And as the uh, city cards get drawn, instead of adding cubes, you take off supply cubes. So it's like removing supplies. And then if there's no supplies, then you get a disease cube. So it's different, <laughs> but similar. Yeah, it's like reversed. <laughs> yeah, reverse pandemic. Yeah. When I was reading the rules, I was like, oh, it's like backward, like reverse pandemic. But yeah, I think it's really fun because you can move the supplies around. So there, there's the cubes there and you can like, as your action, you can pick up supplies on one city and then you can move to a different city and drop them off. So if certain cities are getting more action, then you'll want to like, bring the supplies all over to that city. And so there's like a big management of trying to manage the supplies. 
And in the prologue, we did pretty badly, but we were like, oh, this doesn't matter because this isn't going to be part of the legacy game. <laughs> so we lost, but then the first month we won. <laughs> so that was cool. <laughs> and similarly to Pandemic Legacy Season 1, this is played out over 12 months, yeah. and you have two chances to win each month. So technically, mm-hmm. you could play anywhere between 12 and 24 games total to complete yeah. the campaign. Yeah. Uh-huh. And... I remember, I remember when you talked about it, you said that the, you felt like there was more stickering. And I definitely feel like there's more stickers. Because <laughs> even in the character creation, so in Pandemic Legacy Season 1, the characters had their jobs like on the card already made. But here, the characters are blank cards and you sticker the job on and you sticker a little picture on to make the characters. So that's already two stickers extra per character <laughs> that you're doing. And I really like stickering stuff. <laughs> so it's funny because I don't I don't fun. like putting stickers on things because <laughs> oh, okay. I feel well I don't I like the idea of stickering <laughs> but not the act of stickering. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, because like I always feel like it's just I can't get it if I can't get it perfectly oh, on okay. there then it, it's bothersome to yeah. me. So <laughs> that's where I don't like it. But I did like that I got to put stickers on things a lot. Yeah. yeah. So we were all stickering things. I also ripped a card (laughs) so that's another thing in legacy games you rip cards when they're used up in pandemic legacy season one we actually didn't rip any of the cards we just put them in the box and like threw it out later but this so this is the first time i ripped a card and it was it felt felt good it was kind of refreshing yeah uh yeah so when we played season one the first time i had to rip something it was tough and yeah. then every time thereafter, it was yeah. fun. <laughs> I was like, oh, we get to rip something? Heck yeah. Because I realized at a certain point, now, obviously, the only I always would kind of pause and just like make sure because mm-hmm. we didn't want to rip something accidentally yeah, or yeah. make a mistake. But once we knew for sure that a thing needed to be ripped, I was like, gimme, I want to do it. <laughs> yeah. So I'm enjoying it a lot. I like the gameplay a lot, too. It seems th- there's a lot of choices to make and we have to work together and it's pretty difficult to have to manage all of the cubes, but um, it's a lot of fun. So that's Pandemic Legacy Season 2. So how many, wait, sorry, how many months in are you all? <laughs> just just so one. <laughs> oh, just the one. So we just did one. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we'll play again in a couple weeks, I think. Awesome. Well, yeah. I'm curious to hear your thoughts as you progress through the campaign. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to talk about something spoilery as well. <laughs> I had been talking in our recent episodes about getting... Uh, to play the new final expansion for Time Stories, Time Stories Madame. And uh, that came out and I got to play it. And I will preface what I'm about to say with the fact that I am also going to be avoiding spoilers. So I'm going to give some very general statements about my thoughts, both to this scenario and how it acts as a conclusion for the whole Time Stories series. So for those of you who aren't familiar, Time Stories uh, is a series of games that started in 2015. You have a base box that has uh, the primary components, including a game board and some pieces and tokens. Um, But then each expansion for the game or each scenario comes in a separate box, has uh, sometimes new components, but usually just decks of cards that you incorporate into the components from the base game to play out the different scenarios. And 
This scenario specifically is the very last in the White Box series. They are releasing some new stuff uh, in the near future that they're calling the Blue Box series. And those are going to be standalone games. You won't have to have a base game and then buy the expansions. Each game will just be standalone, supposedly. So I'm curious to know how that's going to go. But overall, Time Stories as a whole has been something I've really loved. There have been scenarios that I disliked pretty strongly for certain reasons, including this last one. There were some mechanical failings in a few of the scenarios or things that were seemingly broken. And there were things that were actually broken as well. There are there were typos on some cards in certain scenarios throughout the whole thing. And then specifically in this last scenario, one mistake. Although I think it may have been addressed before we got to it, but I can't say specifically what that means. As the scenarios go, story-wise, this one was boring. I I mean, not like horrible, but like just kind of meh overall, nothing super exciting. And the meta, meaning like the stuff that you're doing with your like time agency, they're sending you back in time and they're sending you into vessels to do certain things. And the, the story that's going on in that, in this one, was disappointing to me. I do not like how they wrapped up this series of games. I am I was just super heartbroken, honestly. Aww. I was expecting something better for the last one. And this one was not horrible. It was not I wouldn't call it the worst we've played, although there me- were mechanically a couple of things that were like functionally like game design 101 type things that I'm like, "Oh, you don't put that in a game." Like you just uh. don't kind <laughs> of things. And just really frustrating. So, I would say if you've played all the rest of the scenarios, I would say picking up Madame might be worth it only because to see where they how they ended everything, but prepare yourself for potential disappointment because I don't think that they did the story that they set up justice. And that's kind of a bummer. Yeah, I still have to play the last two scenarios. I think, I mean, overall, I, I know I sound like a downer, but I think Time Stories as a whole was a very ambitious mm-hmm. project. And so I think when I look back on it as a whole my thoughts will be mostly positive, which is weird considering I'm mad at the ending. Mm -hmm. But the design that went into most of these scenarios Mm -hmm. and the whole thing as a whole is really quite impressive. And what they were able to do, they did mostly very well. So I don't want to like dissuade people from (laughs) trying out time stories, especially if you buy the base game, that first scenario is one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. So if you could try that out and you like it, like dig in, play some time stories. There's also a ton of fan-made expansions on BoardGameGeek. So if you print and play games, you can just print out those fan expansions. And I've heard some of them are really good. I haven't been able to play them all because... I don't feel like printing them all right now, but... <laughs> well, and supposedly yeah. one of the scenarios that came out this past year was originally a fan expansion, right? Do you know which oh, one that is? I don't know. But I know oh. they were, like, soliciting people to send in expansions. So I, I, I'm i not sure which one it was, though. <laughs> okay, yeah, because I remember seeing a post on the forums, like, a couple, mm-hmm. like, a year or two ago, where people are like, oh, that fan scenario disappeared from the listings, and mm. then, like... uh, Space Cowboys actually said that one of the last few scenarios was going to be fan created, but I don't, I don't remember if that actually happened. I don't know. Mm. So maybe somebody can, uh, if they're aware, they can tweet at us and let us know. In 
our last episode, as part of our discussion, I made a comment that I wanted to rant about big box editions of games. So we took that statement and we've now turned it into a theme for this week's episode, but not just big boxes. We're talking about does size matter? Meaning small games, big games, small boxes, big boxes. What does it all mean? Uh, and how does the size of the physical footprint of a game correlate to the experience within that box? I think this is a topic that we've never really touched on much before. We've definitely talked about small games that we love, mm-hmm. but we've never really talked about like form factor kind of on a broader scale. Yeah, so I think there are a lot of epic games that have big boxes. So lots of times you might associate a big box with an epic game. But I think like it goes one way, but maybe not the other way. So just just having a big box doesn't necessarily mean the game is epic. But like a lot of epic games like Gloomhaven or Twilight Imperium, those have big boxes because they have so much stuff in them and they need to have a big box to hold all of that. But like there are some big boxes that just have a lot of air. So those aren't the same, I think. I feel like we have to give a, a shout out to Mason Weaver, who tweets about slack fill in boxes sometimes. <laughs> like he'll take out all of the inserts and like plastic baggies and just put the components back in and show how much air is <laughs> yeah. actually in the box for certain games. And mm-hmm. it is surprising to see sometimes how yeah. unnecessarily large game boxes are. Yeah. Like one good example is Queen Games. They have published a lot of winsome train games which uh, make the train games and winsome games are they look like prototypes they come in like clamshell packages so it's very small very minimal but then when it gets published by queen games it's in a huge box but it's like the same game (laughs) so (laughs) that's an example of where the size the box size doesn't equate to the game because it's the same game in in very different box sizes. (laughs) Well, it feels like I could be mistaken, but aside from big box editions, it seems like most of Queen's titles all come in that Ticket to Ride sized box. Is that Um, accurate? I can't think of any that come in a smaller box from them. Well, I think like the Chicago Express is bigger. It's, it's wider, I think, or like if you, if you're putting it vertically on a shelf, it's wider (laughs) than Ticket to Ride. But do they have any smaller? I, I don't know about smaller. <laughs> I don't think they do. So it kind of feels like, yeah. oh, like if it's a queen game, you like if you see a game that size, yeah, then it's kind of to be expected. And I do know that publishers often take the footprint of a game in when it's sitting on a store shelf yeah. into consideration because if your game can't be seen by the people perusing the shelves, then obviously they're less likely to buy it. So. Mm-hmm. It is frustrating, I think, to get games that come in a gigantic box and only have a few components. (laughs) Yeah. And I think part of it is also a culture thing. I was watching a video on Japanese games. There's a YouTube video that was talking about or like interviewing different Japanese designers and publishers. And when I went to Japan, I saw boxes of games that like I know, like the Resistance and Tragedy Looper, and they were the Japanese version is the same game, but it's just in a smaller box. So it's like the box size that is needed for the game. And even like the resistance isn't that big of a box here, but it was smaller there. And so everything's smaller there. And like one of the, I think they were talking to Oink Games and he was saying that when he was talking to people to bring it over to America, they wanted to make the box bigger. So he didn't like that. 
like they wanted to change the box size because he was very particular with his box size because he like made it specifically for his game. So I guess that that's like part of a cultural thing like in we want big boxes because everything, all the boxes are bigger. So in order to be seen, it's bigger. But in Japan, all the boxes are smaller, so <laughs> they don't need to be big. So it's interesting, I thought. Yeah, that makes sense. And obviously, it, from what I know, I've never been to Japan, but um, real estate, not just yeah. in terms of housing, <laughs> but real estate for literally everything, there is just less yeah. space in general. So it makes sense that publishers in Japan that want their games to be purchased by people who don't have a lot of space to mm -hmm. store them, theoretically, they would make smaller games. Yeah. And it's funny because, like, while here in America, I think most people on average have a lot more space to work with, in theory, if you were a game publisher and you made your games smaller, then you would, then people would have more space to buy more <laughs> of your games, theoretically. Yeah. Like, because if, if, obviously not everybody is filling their house floor to ceiling with board games. I mean, <laughs> some of us probably are, but not everybody. No, yeah, like I had, we were limiting our collection to around like 110 or something before. And then we bought a bunch of small box games, like the Oink games and the Packa games. And now we have like 180 games, <laughs> but it takes up about the same space, even because we have a bunch of the small games. <laughs> I'm really excited to get my new Paco game games in the mail, which I kind of added on to my uh, Kickstarter pledge for Roll and Write, the Roll and Write game. <laughs> it's still funny to say that every time. I'm sure people that are listening are confused because Roll and Write is a name, not <laughs> so confusing. <laughs> Regardless, I owned a few of the Paco game games and have lost mm -hmm. them and I don't know where they are. So mm -hmm. I'm excited to get the full sets with the cases and I can keep them in the cases, which makes them slightly less portable, but easier to keep track of. Yeah. It's interesting. I was kind of thinking about this and, oh, well, here, hold on. First, let me go on my rant because I said I was going to do it. <laughs> so big box games, mm -hmm. I have determined I am generally not a fan of, at least for me and my personal collection. I own three different big boxes. Specifically, like, as in, so when I say a big box game, I mean a game that originally came in a smaller box and has now been packaged with a bunch of its expansions into a big box edition. Mm -hmm. The games that I own that are in big boxes are Carcassonne. Oh, Carcassonne has had so many different big box editions. That's a whole other story. <laughs> I have Kingdom Builders big box edition. Could rant about Queen Games Kickstarter practices there. Mm -hmm. uh, also unrelated. And the El Grande big box. So I got El Grande. I said this, I got El Grande through my, the, the mm -hmm. board game cafe that was closing. Still never played my copy of it. I got the Kingdom Builder big box edition through Kickstarter. And while I have played regular Kingdom Builder tons of times in the past and have always considered it kind of in my like top 10 or 20 of games, since I got the big box, I haven't played it once. <laughs> <laughs> and my Carcassonne big box, I think I've played once or twice ever. And I've realized that the reason that that is for me is because of the the psychological problem over choice. And if, for those of you who haven't heard that term before, it was originally introduced by Alvin Toffler in the 1970 book Future Shock. But it's basically about the phenomenon that people, when given too many equally good options, tend to kind of freeze up and not be able to choose anything or there's mm. stress and anxiety associated with it. And I think that for me specifically, 
when I'm looking at a game like Carcassonne, theoretically, it would not be that difficult for me to introduce any of the expansions into it. But having to choose which ones to do and which ones not to do, get those components out, sort them mm-hmm. out, figure everything out, and then unsort them all at the end again. Yeah. All of that just stresses me out. And so as a result, I just don't play Carcassonne anymore. <laughs> and I... Aww. I know, it's a bummer. So, like, these games... Kingdom Builder is a game that I truly love. And mm-hmm. I don't pull it off my shelf anymore because there's too much in that darn box. Wow. I Yeah, it's weird. I don't know. Maybe I'm the only person that deals with this. But it feels like big boxes to me... Like, I love a game and I want all the things for it. But when it's all packaged together, somehow it becomes daunting in a way mm-hmm. that I didn't expect. Maybe I am the only one. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think I've ever played any big box versions because I generally don't get expansions for games. So I wouldn't get the big box version either because I just like the base game is usually good enough for me. But yeah, that seems like having too much stuff. Yeah, that would be tough. Right. Well, and <sighs> like in like for a moment, I kind of was thinking, well, maybe it would be good for a game convention to have a big box edition. But then you run into the same problem. Mm-hmm, yeah is the only people that is like if a person wanted to try out just Carcassonne yeah but it was a big box then when they open it up like especially if somebody hadn't sorted things out properly then you wouldn't really be able to get the experience of just playing Carcassonne I mean Mm -hmm. I know that all the base game tiles are in there but it's harder to make that happen with a big box edition so I think even for like a game library big boxes don't make a lot of sense Mm -hmm. it just feels like consumerism has pushed board game publishers (laughs) like we say we want everything and so they go okay here it is all together and people like me are dummies and we buy it and then it sits on our shelf collecting dust so yeah I don't know big boxes don't work for me and I'm not gonna buy any more of them this is a, a promise I'm making to myself right now on this podcast But I think it's even similar with games that aren't big box versions, like just games that have a lot of stuff, like Gloomhaven has a lot of stuff and it's kind of daunting too. Wait, it's daunting. Um, Uh, I don't know who, I don't know who you could be referring to when you say that Gloomhaven is daunting and avoid uh, something to be avoided because, you know, I, I definitely, well, nope, still haven't played mine. So yeah. Yeah. I think honestly, we're just kind of looking at my, the psychology of Crystal's brain in this episode and it's getting weird. So... I personally, and I imagine many others as well, um, we tend to kind of be predisposed to judge a game Mm -hmm. based on the size of the box it comes in. And Mm -hmm. I don't think that's obviously the only factor we use to judge a game, but we, you know, we as humans are wired to form opinions about things, you know, based on a number of factors. And when it comes to board games specifically, for hobby gamers, I imagine there are a number of things that you immediately notice even if it's not completely conscious and that could be the size of the box how the art looks what the name of the game is who the designer is that kind of information Mm -hmm. you're all putting together and potentially judging a game and so when you see a box like gloomhaven sitting on the shelf at your store for instance it looks big and epic and really cool. So yeah. I imagine a lot of people, even those who aren't familiar with hobby games, would see that and go, wow, that must be something special. Mm-hmm. And in Gloomhaven's case, I would say that's probably an accurate guess, even yeah. though I haven't played it. I think it helps with Gloomhaven that when you pick it up, it's also very heavy. Because there are some boxes that are big. When you pick it up, it's not heavy. So I think 
the big box gets you to like start looking at it. And then when it's heavy, it's like, oh, there actually is a lot of stuff in here. So I think like weight, like physical weight <laughs> of a game is also um, correlated. Or, like one yeah. of the things that, that grab you. <laughs> and conversely, I imagine that there are people, hobby gamers out there who have discounted small box games mm-hmm. Because of their size, even again, and I'm not saying everyone does all of these things consciously, I think a lot of it could be subconscious. But I imagine there are lots of people who have never played a button shy game or a pack o game game, the ones that come in the little gum boxes, Mm -hmm. because they might think, well, how could a game that small possibly have anything interesting for me? And while first off, that assumption, obviously, clearly wrong. (laughs) Like there's potentially lots of stuff Mm -hmm. in there and you don't know until you've tried it. But, and that's not to say those games are for everybody, but I think you shouldn't discount them just because of their size. Mm -hmm. But I also think that we make allowances for small games that we wouldn't for bigger ones. Mm. The Paco Games games are very impressive for their size and are a lot of fun, but they are light games. There isn't Mm -hmm. a ton of depth there because they are, you know, cards the size of a stick of gum. Um, So I think... If those games came in a normal game box, like, and had the same mechanics with just larger pieces and parts, I feel like I might not enjoy them as much, Hmm. which is weird because I'm not saying the mechanics get worse as they get bigger. I just think they are impressive because of their small size. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's part of it. For me, I, I don't know if it affects me as much after I play the game, but it definitely did affect it does affect my purchasing decision because um, I bought a lot of the pack of games and I don't really like a lot of them after playing. Well, like I've played a few of them and, and don't really think they're that great. And then some of them I do like a lot, like shh, <laughs> which is really hard to say. SHH is, I, I think that's a really good game. And I like cooperative card games like Kanabi and the game and the mind. So I think even if it came in a size that was like that, I would still like it. That's true. And I'm trying to think of the other ones like Hue, H-U-E. That that one I haven't played yet, but I've heard it's good. That one I think would also be good in Mm -hmm. a larger box. But like something like Dig, the one where Mm -hmm. your little dog's digging up bones. I feel like if that were a larger box game, that's one of the ones I would be like, meh about. But since it's so small and cute and also has dogs in it, I'd love it. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, the small helps with the... Because it's cheap, too. You just buy it. (laughs) So what's the answer to the question we posited at the beginning of this episode, Ambie? Does size matter when it comes to board games? Yes, it matters some, but it can be dangerous to put too much weight on size. I I like the word dangerous. (laughs) (laughs) This is super important. Life threatening. I mean, we have a board game podcast, so yeah, we obviously think this is important. I do. I think... You should not necessarily judge a game based on the size of its box, but publishers should take their box sizes into consideration. Mm -hmm. And I know that they put a lot of thought into that stuff, but occasionally you see one that just doesn't make sense. And those are the ones that I I want those publishers to be like, wait, why did we do this? Let's do something different. For this week's etymology segment, we're going to look at the origins of the word experience in its noun form. 
hold on to your hats because we're going to encounter that weird phenomenon where newer words are used as definitions for older words. Just hop in your DeLorean and fire up the flux capacitor and it'll all make sense. So the English word experience, which means observation as the source of knowledge or actual observation or an event which has affected one, originated in the late 14th century. It can be traced back to the old French word experience from the 13th century, which meant experiment, proof, or experience. There's that whole time travel thing I was talking about. That word came from the Latin word experientia, which was defined as a trial, proof, or experiment, and sometimes knowledge gained by repeated trials. That word came from another Latin word, experientium, which was the present participle of experiae, which meant to try or test. That word can be broken down into its roots, ex, meaning out of, and peritus, meaning experienced or tested, which can then be traced further back to the Proto-Indo-European root perio, the suffixed form of the root per, which simply meant to try or risk. In gaming, we often use the word experience to signify the attainment of knowledge or progress, and the definition that lends itself to that, as in a state of having done something and gotten handy at it, originated in the late 15th century. And that's it for this week's Board Game Blitz. Visit our website, boardgameblitz.com, for video and blog content, as well as to get links to all our social media pages. This episode was sponsored by Gray Fox Games. Pre-orders for Reavers of Midgard will be open for another month or so, so make sure to reserve your copy now. Gray Fox Games, quality games cleverly crafted. If you're enjoying the show, you can write and review us on your podcast provider or consider becoming a patron. For as little as $1 a month, you can unlock access to unedited episodes and our private Slack channel, which lets you chat with us and other Blitzketeers directly. Head to patreon.com slash boardgameblitz to become a patron today. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Morrow. Technical support provided by Toby Mount. Board Game Blitz is part of the Dice Tower Network. Until next time, it's a small box after all. It's a small box after all. It's a small box after all. It's a small, small box. Bye, everyone. Bye. I backed the, um, well, having a brain fart campaign (laughs) that I backed that I could do add those Uh, on to. Give me an A. A. Give me an L. L. Give me an L. L. Give me an I. I. Give me a T. T. Give me an E. E. Give me an R. R. Give me an A. A. Give me a T-I-O-N. T-I-O-N. What does that spell? Alliteration. (laughs) (laughs) It's alliteration time, everyone. Last episode, we asked you to retheme a dungeon crawling game for a mythical flying creature that is pretty selfish. What game was that, Ambie? That was Greedy Griffin Gloomhaven. It sure was. All right, so this episode, don't forget, the answer is going to be three words all starting with the same letter. You're going to retheme a game about being silent for a sparkly person who buys things. Good luck, everyone.